Hello, this is Titi and welcome to the Travel Girl Boss Podcast, a podcast where my guests and I get real about the challenges and beauty of being ambitious while still wanting to use up those vacation days to travel, go on adventures and just live our lives. In this episode of the Travel Girl Boss podcast, I talk to Rebecca Sher, the 20-something-year-old founder of Best, a South African-born accessories brand founded in 2019. Recorded just after Rebecca shared with the world that Best was launching in 13 European countries, the conversation we had covered everything from the challenge of challenging your own self-doubt, the concept of reframing failures into lessons, how she took Best to Europe, and of course, why she travels. So Rebecca, I'm just going to jump straight in. I was reading one of the most recent blog posts on the BEST website where you spoke about your global expansion, which is incredibly exciting. In that same post, you spoke about how when you launched BEST in South Africa, you had serious doubts about its ability to be something big and then linked that doubt to your own self-doubt, which I found to be really, really interesting because Even as I'm speaking to you now, you've got a sign behind you that says you're the best and you've built a brand that is essentially around telling people that best believes they're the best and that they are the best versions of themselves already. So I guess my first question is just a check-in question. How is all that self-doubt doing now that you are in 13 European countries? It's such an interesting thing that I've always dealt with and I will, it's very much still there, the self-doubt. I think the self-doubt just changes and becomes different things as you grow and evolve. But I think the biggest thing that was that you like, you're an entrepreneur and you're in this world where no one is really giving you feedback on what you're doing. Is it right? Um, there's no, there's not many people, there's not a book that's telling you exactly what to do. So I think this process has always been a bit of trial and error, doing something, getting feedback and hoping you're on the right track. So from that perspective, it really felt like a lot of the time you don't know what you're doing and that's where the self-doubt comes in. But it also comes from, a, and I think it's a journey that I've dealt with all my life where you're trying to be a perfectionist you're trying to make this brand be the best version of you and yourself and what you're trying to put out there you want it to be the best and your standards for yourself are often higher than your audience and the people that are are getting um, a hold of your brand so I think it was a journey of like really understanding that you can actually do this and just and I'm still there even since launching in Europe you're like you just actually need to get down and do it and see that you actually are capable then of more than you think you are and that everyone out there is equally much figuring out what they're doing and what's you know happening in the world yeah it felt like yeah i mean that that's mainly it is it's like you just got to you got to get down and do it can i ask why did you feel like you wanted to share that yeah and i think that goes down to this idea that everyone's out there on instagram putting out what the world perceives as their best and everything everyone's like life's going well and no one really sees the challenges and and how difficult it is to really put yourself out there and be the best version of yourself and I think that's where the brand messaging comes in it's to say that you've got absolutely everything you really need to be the best like I did to start best I had all the tools but it's just about believing in yourself and actually understanding that you actually can do it that for me I thought was actually such an important thing to put out there that like as someone who may be reading this and thinking, wow, it's really cool to be able to take a South African brand and make it global. Like how the hell did they do that? How the hell could I do that? So it's just basically to say that, you know, like the self-doubt is there and you, if you're feeling that too, can still 
break that and make it happen. Okay, so I don't want to hop too much on the self-doubt thing, but just a quick question and then we're going to move on because I want to hear about how this journey to being global um, has, has come along. What do you tell yourself when you are sitting in moments of, I'm not really sure, I'm not getting feedback, I don't actually know if this is wrong or right? <laughs> I learned to really, someone actually said this to me early on when I used to do something and naturally you're failing all the time. And failing is obviously how you're framing the failing, whether it's actually a true failure or a failure in terms of what the standards you put on yourself. But it was this idea that no one's teaching you to be an entrepreneur. There's no, there are books out there that can teach you to do it. But obviously the most learning comes from actually trying and failing and looking at it and looking at it and reframing like the setbacks and all the challenges that come which are absolutely constant that it's school fees so you're paying the price that you would have paid to go to university to learn xyz and to not potentially make mistakes you're learning that through your entrepreneurial journey so whether that's through actual financial setbacks because you've now you know not put money in the right place and the usual things that come with learning it's actually reframing it and I think that's often the biggest skill I find and it's a skill that I'm still trying to learn is is this idea of reframing and it's actually a thing that I always practice with my therapist because you come into a session with my, if I go to a session with my therapist I'm like this is the problem and she's hold on let's actually reframe that because to you it's a problem but have you considered all these uh, things that have come with it that have enabled you to you know like grow and make your business grow and so that's a big one I think it's it's reframing okay I really love that the concept of reframing because I think to reframe you have to pause and you have to think you have to think through what has happened how did it happen like this what can I learn from it and then that then you can only start to look at it from a different angle all right you in 13 European countries you're basically global in that same post you actually shared that this was a target that you guys had wow guys like just visualization, manifestation, all of that stuff. But obviously it's not as simple as visualization, manifestation and vision boards. Uh, take us through it because 2019, you start this business, 2020 pandemic, 2021 pandemic still. <laughs> and, but your business is growing, obviously. And you guys diversify product. There's, yeah, you diversify where people are able to buy in terms of the best brand, the best brand. And then that was intentional. <laughs> yes. I know. How clever. As I just said it now, I was like, Oh, that's actually very clever. It's like, yeah, you're training your brain to actually go, yeah, it's the best brand. It really is the best brand. Exactly. Okay. So now, yeah. How do you, are you guys visualizing this goal of expansion within the pandemic under all these conditions or is it something that was in the 2019 plan? I think it was in the 2019 plan. I think when you're launching a brand in South Africa, you're fully aware of the challenges that come with, and especially a brand where your price point is not a mass market. So not many people can afford your jewelry and it's area code digits of, of people who are actually belonging to your market. And that was always like a reality where you like you're marketing to a very small market and the potential for growth, although in your head, you're hoping that it's big. You're obviously always aware that if you were to be able to get global, that you can 100x what you hopefully, I mean, who knows, but what, 100x what you're doing here. So it was always in the back of the head, like maybe this is something that we can do. And then on top of that, I, I always have been identifying with brands globally, like Glossier, Outdoor Voices, Billy, like from very early on, these brands and their stories are something that I've been following, you know, with huge inspiration and looking at them and thinking maybe Best could be up there or part of those brands. And I think how we shaped and, and branded Best was definitely a huge, definitely inspired from those brands. But 
So I, I think global was always in the back of our heads, but I think the biggest catalyst was one, obviously launching and realizing what you're dealing with in terms of market. And then two, getting feedback from people like, wow, this brand is, and it's all testament to, to Daniel Tengchong, who's the, to the brand designer, who's really allowed this brand to be a global brand through everything that he's designed aesthetically. And then it was, and actually COVID, I think was probably a, positive in the sense that we're really clutching at straws but we're trying to find positives i think the biggest one was that um, our suppliers who were were in india got heavily affected by COVID, and I, i spoke about this in our story but they we're no longer able to keep up with demand, uh, quality was dropping, lead times weren't being met. So really, we quickly realized that the success of your business entirely relies on your suppliers and what they're able to deliver and how they're able to deliver. And it forced us to think, maybe we need to look for other suppliers. That was the biggest one. And then it was like, okay, and if we do want to be a global brand, what does that look like in terms of suppliers? Is it that ide- realistically, in order to, and this is how it has been set up, but when we're looking at other, how other brands do it, Glossier is based in America, but they have fulfillment in, in Europe. How does it work? So the manufacturer would send the stock to the fulfillment warehouse and then they manage your back end and send your orders out, which is how best Europe is currently structured. But I was so aware of that in order to get to that level where we can set, our suppliers can send stock directly to the manufacturer and we can be rest assured that the quality is perfect and I don't have to personally check everyone and make sure it's all great, then we really have to have the best possible suppliers. Otherwise, it's you're wasting your time. So it was that coupled with now these suppliers that we had in India being like really difficult to work with that we thought that I thought, okay, we need to actually start looking for someone else. And I started looking at brands, uh, jewelry brands overseas that are like really killing it. And they often allude to you know where their suppliers are. They never say who they are, but you know where they're based and the boards they belong to. And through a lot of process of elimination and some serious searching, I managed to find um, these manufacturers in Thailand, reached out to them and they were like, Basically, we don't have capacity for you because they are a very big manufacturing arm. And we just felt like no was not the answer. Can we just have a call with you and let's see, maybe you can help us. And we built a good, some good rapport and they, they took us on as it took us on and we could, they weren't going to manufacture for us. So we started the process of recreating the styles we had here over there. In, and the biggest distinction between this manufacturer and the Indian manufacturer was that they were able to and make everything out of recycled gold and silver, which also for us that thought, now this is the opportunity to really be able to go global because brands over there, if you're not playing in that game of um, sustainability, you really may not stand a chance. So all of these things are like clear signs that actually maybe we can be global. Um, and we allowed ourselves six months in South Africa to test the supply chain. So to have the stock sent to South Africa and do a test to see are any defective, are there any issues and then we were rest assured after back and forth sending, sticking to lead times, that we knew that we had like a serious manufacturer that allowed us to now do what we needed to do to get global. Wow. Okay. But it does feel like even along the way, yes, obviously you had it in your 2019 vision because I think you, know, you, you make a valid point. I think at the price point and, and the brand level that you are at, you were going to reach a cap in terms of your market and who you were going to be selling to and speaking to. So it was always good that you had in your head that this is, this has to be for more than just people in South Africa. But it also does seem like, things along the way. And yeah, I suppose that's why you're saying COVID was a little bit of a blessing because it might not have exposed some of the the issues that you probably would have experienced down the line with your manufacturer in India had 
COVID not happen and you'd had to relook and reassess. And another big blessing for COVID, because of COVID, was that South Africans were forced to trust e-commerce. I think there's been, uh, we are miles behind the rest of the world in terms of e-commerce and people's ability to trust that if you're going to order something, it's going to arrive on time and it's going to be to the standard that you see on the site. And I think we were all forced to shop online. So that was another blessing. I think the business grew because of that too. That's so true. I've been speaking to a lot of people about COVID, especially people who've been running their own businesses or who have been in business. And it's interesting now what people are able to look back on and go, what if some of these things didn't happen? Some of the spikes in, I don't know, innovation in this area wouldn't have occurred when it comes to my business. I, I know now we can sit and reflect positively, but whilst you were in it, because you guys weren't an essential <laughs> purchase, no, no, what we were closed. Go- yeah, what was happening? Like, what was going through your head at that time? I must be honest, this is when that self-doubt that we spoke about earlier was at its peak. And there were definitely moments where I was like, should I get a full-time job? <laughs> is this worth the fact that your business can be turned off and e-commerce can be shut um, for two months and your business just can generate no money? It's quite a scary reality. And then looking at the future and thinking suppliers, et cetera, how is this actually going to work? It was a big one. And it was those thoughts can, and I, and I think the difference, I always try to pinpoint what is the difference between the people continuing on these journeys? Because I think a lot of people have ideas and want to start a business. And because the self-doubt that eats you up, it's the reality can often take you off that path. And you're like, I actually just want to go back to what's comfortable. I think the difference is being able to know that or being willing to risk it. And I obviously have the huge privilege of not having kids and not having responsibilities where I knew if you do risk it and, and things really go paid, it could be a disaster. But in my case, I knew that the risk, the reward could have been greater than the risk of, of it not working. So a lot of reframing as I spoke about happening there, but like to try just push on. And at the time we were, we, we brought out some scrunchies, um, which have now become like one of our second best sellers. We sell them like crazy. So they supplemented a lot of the losses that came with our supply chain issues. And I guess also those small products that you bring out to a market that can now afford your product because it's a slightly cheaper product also then just helps get boost your confidence that you actually can sell and there's people buying, although the, the values are less. Yeah, strategies like that just to try to boost your confidence. Okay, if I'm because I did ask about what were you um, feeling, but there's a thing. Um, there's a sense that I'm getting that there's some things that you work through your brand. I don't know if I'm yeah. So if you're feeling like a little bit of self doubt, you're like, okay. If I try this and then it works, but if I try it in the brand and it works, then I'm I'm doing good. Rebecca, you're doing good. You know what you're doing. You need yes. to keep at this. Don't give up. Which is. I don't know if I'm reading that no, correctly. No, you, you spot on. You spot on. I think I'm so linked to the brand. And when I first started Best, I was very behind the scenes. I was like, I'm happy for no one to know that I exist and for this to be a big. And I think that partly that was because you, if the brand fails, you don't want it to be a reflection of your own failure. It's a lot easier for it to be just a business out there that failed. And I quickly realized that like, and it comes out of nowhere. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It was, the brand messaging was created by me. And it obviously stems from a yearning that I felt to try be able to be your best self and to really just put yourself out there and be the best version of yourself in whatever way that could be and fail. And all the life things that get thrown at you are part of it. All in, it's all encompassed in the brand. And so it's definitely linked. And I thought I realized that the more as the brand grows, I feel growth in my own 
all the troubles that come my way, I feel like I'm equipped with more skills to deal with it. And I, and as it happens, it, it links the brand even more. I mean, yo, uh, I was actually meant to start with you giving me <laughs> an <laughs> overview and people about your career journey, how you got here. I know you've got your about section on the website, but how did Rebecca herself get to this point where she's like, okay, so I'm not going to do a nine to five. I'm not going to do this other thing. This is what I'm going to put my blood, sweat and tears and effort into. I think uh, well, I was thinking about this earlier. What does, what gets a person to start a business? And I think the biggest one for me was, okay, one big thing was that I studied architecture, but before I knew what to study architecture, I had no idea what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And I think the pressure for people to come out of school and know what to do is absolutely crazy. But I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I, I studied architecture and finished architecture and started practicing and like very quickly realized that this was not for me because there were so many other things that I was inspired by and reading about. And it very often had nothing to do with architecture, which was also a very clear sign that there was something else that I always wanted to do. And one of them was you know, like conceptualizing what it means to start a brand. And if I could start a brand, what would it be? So that was the one thing. And then two, I think I, I, I can never underplay what it means to have two parents as entrepreneurs. Both my parents are entrepreneurs. And I think when you are young and you're watching the ease of someone's ability to find a product for a certain price and sell it on, and that process is a lot less daunting when you've had role models or people to look up to who have done similar things. And specifically my mom, she's such a, I think you'd use the word smost, she'll find something and sell it on or she can create something so easily and turn it into a product. And one of them, she actually has a jewelry brand herself. She does, um, it's uh, hand-braided leather jewelry, but it's a very different to best. But watching her journey and seeing that like actually it's possible made the whole idea of starting your own brand a lot more, you know, palatable and something that could be done. So, so that's the one thing. And then two, I think it's this like idea of I really don't want to be an architect. And that drive can really be so powerful and like doing something that really what you ultimately want to do. And then also the fact that there was very little risk for me in, in the sense I don't have kids, I'm really young. There's an opportunity for me to tr start something. And if it fails, I would have really got some good skills under my belt and I can go back and do other. So like all of that together was what made me think, okay, I'm going to start this thing. I, I actually had some, ear my mom had some gold hoop earrings that she bought in Italy in, in Florence so many years ago. And I always used to get compliments on them, but no one could ever get them. And I started looking for manufacturers in South Africa who could maybe recreate them. I had an idea of all these, all this jewelry that I wanted to make, and I'm obsessed with jewelry. So I thought it was a good link to, to if there's a brand I want to start, and I really love jewelry, maybe I'll start a jewelry brand. And yeah, I started looking for manufacturers. There were no manufacturers in South Africa who could make hollow jewelry. And I was like, man, maybe there's a gap in the market here for finding really good quality hollow jewelry that's big but light and and yeah that's where it all starts. I love that you mentioned the things that um set you up to believe that you could because you're right I think being around some entrepreneurial energy watching your mom also just be like oh let me see if I can do this and then she actually does it it goes okay this is possible because if you didn't have that you still might actually be an architect right now so now i had my boyfriend at the time who's actually has become on to be part of a co-founder in, in in best i was telling him about all these dreams and he was working at a startup like a really high growth startup so he has the perspective of what it means to have an idea and cultivate the idea and like actually make it be successful 
again, another re- barrier to entry where he sees it's possible and is actually, let's try and make this something. So I think all of those external forces can really contribute to your own doubt that I had, that I was just like trusting in the fact that I had all these sources that were allowing me to actually get it done. Yeah. And then on top of that, I wanted to actually just say, I know some people always go, don't talk about the thing that you don't want to do. Figure out what you do want to do. And I think that can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming to want to have the answer of what I want to do. But I think sometimes it's okay to be motivated very clearly by the thing that you do not want to do. You were like, I don't want to be an architect. I know I just studied four years or whatever, but I don't want to do this. That's what I don't want to do. But I roughly know what I'm into. I don't know if I fully want to do it, but I know what I don't want to do. So at least that takes that off the table. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I, it's like I can, the process of elimination. <laughs> exactly. I can be motivated by not wanting to do that thing. Yes. And I can use that as a driver to make this other thing work. So how exactly. is it like being in a partnership business-wise with your um, boyfriend? So how is that? We have, yeah, he has a full-time job and, and does best on the side. So he's not 100% involved, although he really contributes to the strong operational side of things, like setting up a business in Europe, all of those. He's actually a lawyer, so getting all the legalities behind that in place has been huge. But I think another big thing is we have very different roles. We're very different um, in every single way. So our responsibilities don't overlap. And then a very big one is just, and it's been great for our relationship is it forces you to really learn how to communicate in the best and most efficient way. And that through business also trickles down into your relationship on how to say things that you want and say things that you don't want, not beat around the bush. And so it's really been beneficial actually from a work perspective and from a relationship perspective. I like that. Communication. Communication, yeah, it's the biggest thing (laughs) in everything. (laughs) In everything, actually, you guys are in Europe now, so I'm assuming I don't know. You guys have to go check on your business in Europe and stuff, so there might be some traveling and stuff in the near future. (laughs) But before we do talk about traveling, I do want to talk about the little dramatic incident that happened and leading up to the European expansion. Just so people know what I'm talking about, you flew all the way to Amsterdam and then you were stuck in the airport because obviously Omicron, yes, Omarion, um, whatever everyone's calling Omicron, it, Omicron, Omicron whatever, yeah, all yeah. that same shit decided to to rear its ugly head. And I think even just wrote that's a story for another day. I'll tell the story again and I'll try to keep it short because it is a really long story. But we were about to launch in Europe. Everything was lined up to launch, and the only thing that needed to make the launch happen was that I needed to fly there and take all the press boxes that we were handing out to to give to our PR agency. The reality of it was that to send those press boxes, they were quite big and bulky. It was the same price as me actually just flying there. So I was like, I'm going to take it in my suitcase and fly, give it to the the PR PR team, and then that will be our launch. I was armed with all of these press boxes, so excited to make this like a year's worth of work actually a reality. COVID was like behind us, travel had opened up. And as I was boarding the plane, we were listening. I was listening to people in the line saying things about the travel ban. I think UK had already put on a travel ban because of Omicron for South Africans. And... I actually phoned my boyfriend, Daniel. I was like, what do I do? I'm seeing people turn around on this flight. People are actually not boarding the flight. Should I be doing that or should I just go for it? <laughs> and he was like, you're this far. Just go for it. You, if you know, Let's see what happens. And I probably should have listened to my guys who was actually just don't go on this flight. But I didn't. And I blissfully uh, was unaware. I went onto the plane 
it landed the next so the plane took off at 12 a.m which is basically the exact time that the travel ban was enforced in europe but it hadn't yet so basically while i was in the air travel ban was enforced and we landed in south africa in the netherlands and um i landed in the netherlands and they were like, sorry, this plan, plane is not allowed to actually come into Europe because of the travel bans. We have to figure out what to do with you. So we were actually on the airplane for about four hours just on, on the tarmac while they were figuring out what the hell to do with us. So it was like 11, by 3 o'clock, I think it was. There was like, supplies on the airplane were running low. There was no food. The water had run out. The toilets were a disaster because they hadn't been emptied. There were babies on this flight, and it was becoming people were starting to get rowdy and it was becoming a bit of a humanitarian crisis eventually they decided to just let us off the airplane and like put us in a quarantine terminal just off the air uh, off the airport and everyone arrives in there there's about 600 600 of us on that plane and they tell us that we have to get a COVID test and the results of the COVID test will determine whether we can go into Europe or whether we can, uh, or, we, or if it's positive, you have to go into hotel quarantine. And all of a sudden, everyone rushed, rushes to the booth to get their COVID test. And then the announcement is made, don't rush. Everyone is going to go in and out at the same time. So there's no point in trying to be the first in line to get your COVID test. So I, person who absolutely hates queuing, was like, I'm going to sit, relax. Once everyone's gone for their COVID test, I'll go up and get my COVID test. But little did I know that, so I went and got a COVID test at 8 p.m. And I only got my results at 4 a.m. the next morning. So we waited in that terminal till 4 a.m. We, I keep saying we, but it was actually just, just me all my lonesome. Um, and then at 4 a.m. I got my negative results. We were allowed back into the terminal and booked a flight to come straight back home. So oh. that was a very brief synopsis of the whole event, which was a lot more traumatic than I'm actually letting out. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're smiling and stuff like that when you're telling the story. And I'm, I, I cannot imagine that there was anything less than trauma about oh, just being in that experience. It was. Yeah. But okay. We've spoken about that. We've gotten out the way. I just couldn't whiz <laughs> past it because it was just so significant. <laughs> um, on this podcast, I want to talk about people just being the best <laughs> version of themselves and girl bossing and not girl bossing in the way that everybody has started to look at negatively. For me, it's just whatever you choose to do, Whatever you're trying to do, if you're doing that and you're killing it, you that for me you're girl bossing. Even if you're not killing it, you really are building some serious skills to down the exactly. line hopefully kill it. <laughs> exactly. So like for me, it's like whether it's the big corner office and some I don't know skyscraper to I don't know me and my podcast, my little fun podcast that I'm doing. It all <laughs> matters. But then I'm also really interested in people exploring and traveling and what they do it for. I know a lot of people do it for mental health. I know for me, when I look back Huge. now, having trips planned during my work life, having something to, you know, look forward to was like so important for keeping me focused and not making me a bitch at like work or whatever. <laughs> so I'm curious for you, what is like your motivation to explore on any level, whether it's local, internationally, etc. Why do you do it? So I actually, because obviously I haven't been able to travel for so long, and then I recently went to Copenhagen when we, the after the whole travel drama, I was eventually able to go back. And it's been like a two-year, obviously, hiatus, maybe even longer, of not being able to travel. And going there and experiencing what it means to be truly inspired was such a, it was a feeling that I haven't felt in a long time because you, in the South African bubble where, you know, like 
things feel limiting or there's things you can't access and so many things that's going there's so many beautiful things to the country but there's also so many things that we don't have access to in terms of on a brand level and you know like products and seeing you know what's out there we really are um quite closed off to to the um innovations that happen um out of south africa so that was such a big thing is to go and see even from like the little things and how people serve food and to how they pre- uh, uh, present products in their windows to what products are being sold to how the branding's done i found just from a, and from a business perspective that was just so inspiring um and it really gives you a new eye to how to do things and what can be done and that really gives you this idea that the sky's the limit and i think that's the biggest thing for me is that that level of inspiration that you really struggle to get from your daily life and i try my best to be inspired every day but damn it can be really hard so that's the biggest thing and seeing fashion i'm when i see all these people dress differently and how they live their life and i just find it so intriguing i could people watch overseas forever i love that i think for me also besides the the personal mental health part of it, just being inspired. A long time ago, friends of mine and I started a thing called the Weekend Social, which was a daytime brunch party. And the inspiration for it was a daytime brunch party in New York that we attended. We had such a good night and kept commenting, why don't we have that in South Africa? Then when we got back home, we're having a catch-up lunch and everyone was like, how fun was that? I really wish we had in South Africa. And then we're all just like, why don't we just try and do do it? it? Let's just try and do it. It's a simple idea. Worst case scenario, we attend and all of our friends attend and no one else ever attends, but at least it's, <laughs> it was something fun that you were And I'm able sure to lots of people attended. Eventually it ended up being one of those where you look around and you go, I don't know anyone here, but okay. Okay. So Copenhagen, I loved it. Scandinavian design, just <sighs> everything that was happening there. I was so into it, but massively expensive. What thing did you discover there? I know like when you spoke about how they serve food or just things like that, what things do you remember that you're just like, whoa. That's amazing. I, I was so um, taken aback by this, like, I don't know if you can say, like, this higher level of existence that came with, like, everyone there, from everyone that I saw, whether it's from dressing incredibly well to eating food that's, like, organic and, like, from the farmer's shop down the road. And there's this, like, true community and societal living that I think happens in a place like that. It's, it's allowed, it can easily be because it's such a homogenous society and it's so small. And it's like a small pinprick on the map. So I think they get away with like really making absolutely every facet of life in Copenhagen just amazing. So that was just, it was so amazing to see that. And then also to see the fashion and just like every single person dressed impeccably and dressed not just to my kind of dressing. Like it, it almost felt like I was in my type of ideal world going there from how people dress to the food to the design. It's like I've always been totally inspired by, by Scandinavian design throughout my life it's always been something that I've looked towards so to go there and see it just be second nature and to see people living so well and so happy there's it's a there's a real happiness that comes with that society and I they I think it is voted like the second happiest nation in the world and I think it probably comes with that homogenous idea and that everyone's a little like a little family in Denmark but yeah it was it was so cool to see and the fashion was just I was blown away and then any other destinations or places that you number one have been to that you absolutely love or want to go to. I know Japan is on my list. It's up there. I, I think I threw it to number one on my list. We seem to have very similar tastes in travel destinations. Uh, Japan is number one up there, but I always say I ha- the time I choose to go to Japan, I have to be armed with so much money. One, because it's expensive. And two, because you're traveling all that way and you really want to be able to 
live and like actually spend two weeks traveling and i think that comes with an insane budget but it's on the list for hopefully soon hopefully the best europe takes off and i, and I can be in japan <laughs> <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth as to why I haven't gone to Japan yet. I need to be loaded because I do not want to half-ass an experience there. It's not going to no. happen. I want to do every single thing and I want to do it properly. And if buy like- everything because I think the food, the, the fashion and food there is also imp- is insane. So you want to be able to like really live. <laughs> I think travel like business can sometimes teach you things about yourself that you never knew. I always tell a story about how... Me and my mom were meant to go from Jaipur to New Delhi. We get to the airport in Jaipur. Our flights are canceled. There's no flights, but that New Delhi flight is a connecting flight to Indonesia. Up until then, I really thought that I I always sell myself to the world as I'm really good at dealing with high stress situations. I never freak out. I'm always calm at work. That's what I am. I'm like, I just, I clean up messes quietly. I get a sense. I get a sense. But that day (laughs) I was like (laughs) in tears panicking etc and I was like okay so I actually am still a person who's got the capability of having something push them a breaking point a breaking point that I can't control this one I literally can't control I don't know if there's any travel memories or anything that you've ever experienced where you're just like okay I've learned that either I'm a super patient person or I'm really not into group travel or something yeah, there's a few there's a few things a group travel is actually one thing I don't like being I don't like traveling with people who don't have the same interests or desires as me I don't want to be felt like I've been held back or the person who's traveling with me must or maybe that's selfish but must do exactly what I want to do but actually the point you the most recent travel experience that I've told you about that traumatic time I, I actually was I was impressed with my ability to I did crack I did crack at like 4am when I like finally made it through and like all the adrenaline had like rushed out of my system I did cry but my ability to stay calm in those really chaotic uh, situations I was quite impressed with myself I've never been in a situation like that where you literally can't control anything and you have no idea what's going on and you really just have to like go with the flow so yeah that that was one thing I was a lesson I learned about myself recently that I I have more deep down than I know (laughs) how could I not even reference that as the thing that taught you something about yourself. You were stuck in limbo, basically not knowing what's going on for however yeah. many hours and you you made it out. Then the last <laughs> question I have that's linked to, it is a little bit linked to travel. Do you see yourself ever being in a position where now that you've, you're in 13 European countries and I'm sure there's more expansion planned, do you see yourself in order to, I don't know, understand those markets a little bit better, spending some time in some of those places I think um, ultimately the, the goal for me is always to be able to set myself up where I can travel to different places the idea is to be t- fully remote and have your business function without you physically having to be in that country I think that's a goal for a lot of people but should I get to the stage where I can go to um, Copenhagen for two months and live in South Africa for six and, and move around according to where I feel like being at the time that is the ultimate goal but I think what comes with that is the need to be earning in euros or just like when best is earning like some hopefully good euros then it's a lot you can go live in Copenhagen for two months or move according to the weather so that would be the ultimate goal I think is to be able to experience places for long periods of time and dodge you know like Cape Town winters no joke Okay, but is it primarily just from a personal point of view, like a personal lifestyle point of view, or 
I feel like you've also got other business ideas in your head. Like something about you says that I'm looking at a person who's got other things maybe percolating I mean, all the I time. Mean, I'm always aware of the fact that best, and it's been built in quite a good way in hindsight, that it doesn't necessarily just need to be jewelry. So the product line can expand into absolutely. Actually, before I, while I was trying to conceptualize best, I was very into the idea of starting a skincare, uh, not a skincare, a sun cream brand. I'm obsessed with sun care. I was like, who knows? Maybe one day we've got a sun care, a, a sunscreen brand. But no, the goal and, and the ten year plan is definitely still very much best. Okay, best in New York, London, LA. I can't even imagine what it would be to have. I guess maybe once you've got Europe right and you've got the fulfillment, all the hiccups that come with having fulfillment be remote. Maybe you can replicate that across other parts of the world. I think the next step would be the UK uh, because of Brexit now we actually can't ship to the UK without it being without there being duties and all the drama so best UK yeah I guess, I guess the goal would be to be able to be as big as possible while still I think what I always say to my boyfriend is that I really would want best to be at a stage where there's 10 20 people max working and it still can be very much a family small you know business where you do have the luxury of going away for two months should you need to and and not have it be like a gigantic company that I don't personally want to be able to be managing you know lots and lots of people I love what you're saying because we don't I think put a spotlight enough on some of the things that you're talking about we're 13 European countries London and the UK would be great, but I still want it to feel a specific way. I still want to have enough flexibility in my life and also the people who work for me's life that they can have a life. They can have their best life. We don't talk about that enough because everyone's always focused on the polar opposites of what a business looks like. Yeah, and I, I think a big thing that can't be underplayed is how these big brands that we idolize, like Glossier, Outdoor Voices, really the ones I've spoken about, have such huge VC you know, like investment where your investors are investing in you to grow and sell out and be the most gigantic version of that because you that's what they're putting their money in for. And so I think our approach has always been to try to keep it self-funded and as small as possible in terms of that. So you really do have control to say, I'm not making this gigantic a thousand person team like like Missouri there's a jewelry brand in in America that I think there's 2,000 people close to that working for them I stand corrected but I know it's a gigantic company and I could think of nothing worse than than best ever being that size so you are definitely in the middle thank you so much for sharing that I think quite a few people who listen and go you know what my business plan doesn't have to result in thousands of people it's something that makes me feel fulfilled it's a product that I'm passionate about creating it's self-sustaining maybe one day if my if I have kids and they want to take it over they'll do it maybe I will be able to package it and sell it to someone else and they can maybe make it absolutely that thing but for me right now in terms of how I want my life to look I could think of nothing worse than man, than running a thousand person yeah, organization. It's, it's interesting that you're highlighting that because when I say it, I don't think that's to me that's not abnormal. But I guess some people when they start businesses, it is that this thing becomes gigantic. Yeah, it's interesting that for you, that's something to highlight. It, it probably is more often than not that people should realistically see where they want their business to go and how it can fit in with their life and what their life plan is. Look, for me, the reason why I find it interesting is because probably even when people look at you from the outside, they probably look at you and think this person wants to get to the ultimate top of this thing that they're in. 
So they're quite surprised when, no guys, actually my top is different to maybe what the rest of the world sees as the top level. And I'm cool with that top level. It's a good top level. It's, It's one that is enough for me. Yeah, and I think that's where the beauty of the brand, like, and the idea when you say you want to be the best, it's not the best of all jewelry brands in the world. It's the best version of me, and I'm doing everything I can do to be the best version of myself and feel my best self and do all the things that help me succeed to be ultimately the best version of myself. So it's not necessarily, and, and I think this applies to anyone doing anything, it's not to be the best. It's to do what's good enough for you to feel when you wake up in the morning, that you're doing the best you can to be what you ultimately want to be. And that's how I'm going to actually close the podcast. Amazing. Such an amazing message. (laughs) That's it. If there's anything that you take away or remember is those last words. Um, Thank you so much for joining me, Rebecca. Um, Thank you for my first podcast. It was so great to be here and and to, to chat to you. I'm sure we have so much more that we could chat to for about for hours. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of the Travel Girl Boss podcast. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram. That's at Travel Girl Boss podcast. And um, please like, subscribe, leave a review and make sure to tune in next week wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you then.